Beyond the Ranch with Jay Gannon from Find the Ranch. Welcome to Beyond the Wrench. I am your host, Jay Gannon, and today's guest needs no introduction. Ted Ings is an innovator in the car dealership world and somebody that I hold in very high regard. His, works, his work as the executive director for the Center for Performance Improvement, otherwise known as CPI, and his creation of the Fixed Ops Roundtable are just a couple examples of the impact he's had on the automotive industry. Welcome to the show, Ted. How are you today? Jay. I'm great. I'm honored to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you. I, uh, I, I you know, you and I have have uh, really kind of gotten to know each other over the past year or so, as as you've really dove into into developing this fixed ops roundtable. And I, I guess I want to start off by asking, what is it that you do on a current day to day basis with CPI? Well, I've been uh, in the automotive industry for a long time. Okay, it's 39 years now. I guess that makes me pretty old, right? <laughs> and um, I've been in the retail side of the business, Jay. And by that, I mean at the dealership level. And I started as a young man at the age of 19. And uh, I got to know the world of automotive retail very, very well. You know, it's interesting from the dealership level, being at that uh, in that arena, you're exposed to all sorts of things in terms of business. There's sales, there's service, there's parts, there's logistics, there's finance, there's management, there's leadership, there's collision center, there's there's uh, HR, there's so many parts of it. And, you know, to just have that honor to be able to, to do that at such an early age and get uh, absorbed into it. So that really gave me the foundation 10 years later to go into what I do today, which is I'm a retail training company. And I train not just dealerships, Jay, but I train uh, organizations uh, on the OEM level, uh, you know the the companies that sell the, those parts and sell those automobiles to the to the dealership to the franchisees, and uh, I work with lenders. I work with outside vendors that are involved in that dealership space. So I'm, I'm a training company, and I deal with people skills because I think you'll agree the car business is not really about cars; right. it's about people, and um, so that's what I do. Well, and you're you're one of the best at it, and I think from the standpoint of of your brand, uh, who you are, and and your reputation throughout the industry is uh, immaculate. I mean, you're really really well respected. So I, I guess I'd like to kind of dive into that part of of coming up through. Did you start in where did you start? Did you start in sales and then kind of uh, evolve from there, or how, when you were 19 and coming into the dealership world, where did you start at? I started by selling cars, yeah. which is, you know, really, you know, cutting your teeth in, you know, in dealing with people. And, and I did it at a time, you know, we talk about the economy being economy being good or bad. I did it at a time when the economy was at a rock bottom in 1981. And I worked yeah. at a Ford dealership and the product was not exactly the best. We had what they called the Renaissance cars, the Fairmont, the uh, Thunderbird, and, you know, a lot of cars that were hard to sell, especially with 18% interest rates on new cars. And, you know, if you sold a used car, Ray, it was, uh, Jay, it was over 20, could be 25% uh, APR if, yeah. if you could get the customer approved. So uh, I learned all about the sales business and, uh, you know, it was, it was a tough time to, to do that. I was the kid on the floor. Everybody was, it was all men, right, at the time. 
yep. and they were a lot older. So, uh, you know, I, yep. uh, I, I couldn't believe how many cups of coffee the people uh, who worked in dealerships <laughs> drank and how many cigarettes they smoked. And I'm, I'm like, I hope I don't turn out like this. <laughs> I, I can imagine a little bit of a Mad Men mixed in there a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But I got exposed to the service side of the business two years later. Uh, I, I got very good at sales. I, you know, probably averaged uh, maybe 20 cars a month. You know, it could be the high teens, low 20s. My best month was in the low 30s. Wow. But we got a new sales manager about two and a half years after I started. And, uh, you know, sometimes personalities don't click, right? Yep. And he didn't like me. And he fired me. And uh, <laughs> so I went to the dealer. And I said, you know, I really didn't want to leave. He says, well, why don't you, why don't you work service for a while and learn that side of this? Because the sales manager doesn't oversee that part. Right. That was my first exposure to, you know, to, to writing service and uh, to getting to see some of the similarities and differences as well. And, you know, to work in the shop and work, you know, with technicians and to deal with the parts departments and, you know, learn everything that goes on there, which a lot of people on the front side of the business, you know, don't get a chance to, you know, to see. Yeah. Well, and I think you hit on something right there too, where there, there are a lot of things that apply, I think both ways, but then kind of the stark contrast between the, the two also. I, and I guess how, how have you seen it uh, over the years, Ted, in terms of is, is the front end of a dealership maybe a little bit more accepting of that back end of a dealership now? Uh, are, are you seeing maybe some level of openness to that? Well, I, I think everything has really been turned on its head in 2020. Yeah. And I think that the, you know, what was long viewed as the backside of the house, the fixed operations, and, you know, forgive the term, but you've, you've, we've all heard it, the grease monkeys, you know, years ago, was that has now become the front of the house. Because the focus on fixed operations has never been greater. I mean, the margins on new cars have always been slim. Right. A dealership doesn't make a lot of money on selling cars, you know, so they have to make it up in finance and in perhaps in products. But it's that fixed operations, which is an essential business in, in more than one sense of the word today, um, that's really carrying the, uh, the industry right now. And the focus on, you know, customer service, and, you know, doing the right thing every time is um, has never been more important. So I think fixed operations has a whole new meaning today and is going to continue to uh, evolve, especially with a lot of the, you know, the digital tools that are out there today for customers and so on. We're going to apply a lot of things that maybe we were hesitant to do even on the sales side now over to the service and parts side of the business. And so I think it's a great time, you know, to be in this industry. And uh, we're going through a, a reawakening and a time to reinvent ourselves, reinvent the industry and innovate as well. I, I think that's going to be a really, really key thing as we move forward, right? Obviously, going through a pandemic will will kind of change or alter your view on some things. But but really, I think one of the things that I wanted to dive into today is is really maybe that vision that you were ahead of that just a little bit in terms of coming up with this fixed ops roundtable and coming up with the idea and the concept and and something that I've really, really enjoyed being a part of, but to see the vision that you've come up with and, and really trying to get a bunch of really, really smart people in a room and, and talk about best practices and talk about fixed ops in general, I guess I want to I kind of dive into how, how did this idea come about and 
And how did you, I guess, start planning it and looking at it and saying, hey, you know what, this could be a real thing and this could, this could be something. Walk me through that process a little bit. It was an unintended consequence. <laughs> you know, sometimes you start a business and, you know, you have a, a business plan and, you know, you have a vision and you, you take it forward. And then, you know, somewhere along the way, you realize that, you know, here's a product that you may have within your solutions, your products, your offerings that you weren't aware of that was going to be in the forefront. So a uh, completely unintended consequence. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Mike Vogel out on the West Coast yeah. uh, at the beginning of 2019, who's very well respected in the automotive fixed operations community, suggested that term that we somehow put together a fixed ops roundtable of professionals to talk about best practices. And, you know, if you think back, Jay, the last 12 years or so, you know, since the Great Recession, a lot of the OEMs had for their dealers and fixed ops directors and service and parts managers, and even for technicians, they had events that they had put together on a regular basis that you could count on a couple times a year that would focus on best practices, maybe within the franchises. And all that went away, 2008, 2009, 2010. And there's been a huge void out there for such a long time that I wasn't even aware that that need still existed. So um, I have an office in Manhattan, and Becky Chernick, who's an F&I finance and insurance trainer in Atlanta, was after me for several years. She said, Ted, why don't you use that office and host some kind of a meeting and bring retail professionals in? So, you know, after a couple of years of nudging and then Mike coming up with this idea of a fixed ops roundtable, we decided to do it. And one of the people I invited, I thought the name of this company was very intriguing, this company Find a Wrench, because, you know, a lot of times with a company, you don't know what they do, right, by the name. And, you know, if it has to be explained to you more than 20 seconds, you know, that's probably not a good name for a company. But when I saw this Find a Wrench, I knew instantly what this company did. Because the automotive industry has been lacking in terms of good quality technicians and enough of them, you know, to be available. So I got on the phone and I called you. Yeah. And I asked you if you would come in from Wisconsin to Manhattan in May of 2019 and join us for this fixed ops roundtable. And you accepted. And uh, I don't think any of us really knew what to expect that day. I, had, I knew I had a conference room that, what do you think it holds? Maybe 12 people? Tight? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it was a little tight there, but I, you know, it was it was funny because as you you were talking to me and and kind of really gathering your thoughts about what that day would look like and who was going to be there, it it was such an intriguing kind of mixture of people, right? And I think you had you had some folks from from the variable op side, you had some folks from the fixed op side some vendors. It was just a really, really good mixture of, of uh, smart people, I felt like. And I, uh, I'll forever remember that day just because it was, it was so fun to just talk shop mm. with so many people, right? I mean, that, that was such a good day. Yeah, you hit on something there. You had a lot of different perspectives, right? Typically, we hold these meetings and we just focus on, you know, the parts managers, right? Or we focus on the, uh, the service manager or the service advisor. And here we invited People, you know, not just on the dealership level, but, you know, we had, remember Scott Joseph from JM yeah. Marketing came yeah. in from Kentucky. And he's a company that does marketing for dealers and has gotten more and more into the fixed side. We had El Patron, uh, you know, one of the top dealers in the New York area. 
you know, so we, we brought people, Steve Gordon came up from Atlanta, a good friend of mine, who's a service director, came up Great with guy. his wife for the, for the day to New York city. I was, I was so surprised that Steve would come up. Robert Sebastian came in from South Carolina. So when you look back at all the names, we, we probably had, you know, 30 or so close to 30 people in that room. And it was, it was tight and I didn't really know how the day was going to go. And so I, I reached into my black bag of training and I said, you know what, let's put up these flip charts on the wall. You'll recall that. Yes. And they were colorful. And I said, hey, why don't everybody take a marker and document one best practice that you want to share with the group. And then you get a chance to explain it so that everybody held the floor for a period of time. There wasn't just one person talking. Everybody participated. And um, we got a lot out of it. And there were some great ideas that came out of it. So we documented everything. And then we unknowingly, this wasn't intentional, you know, we we posted some of them on social media, on yeah. LinkedIn, on you know Facebook and Instagram, and there was a lot of interest in it. So that's really that's really how it started. And well, I, I thank you so much for being, and you've been there with us now at multiple fixed stops roundtables. Yeah, I, I mean it's just it's amazing how motivated and and how much you learn coming out of those. And and that first one in Manhattan was was uh, just kind of an eye opener because it's it's kind of a fresh perspective and you get some different uh some different types of relationships so maybe not as you know you could go to any networking event and and meet people i i think this took it a step further in that i think we all genuinely kind of care about each other personally now and and as we yeah. as we've evolved i think we've developed a really really cool core group of people that I don't know. I just think the world of everybody that's involved with it. And, and, uh, I, I, I know you probably share that same sentiment, but it's, it's, uh, it's been an eye opener to me on how much I can learn from others in the industry and, and, uh, and really take back and apply to our business. You know, it's, it's been really, really good. Look at some of the people that came that day and where they've gone since David Foy came down as yeah. a service manager at a Nissan dealership. And he came down for the day. He actually rode on the train with Paul Meyer. And um, David had a, uh, has a company called Trust My Work. Yeah. And as a result of that day, he was like, you know, I'm thinking of putting together some kind of uh, automotive or fixed ops mastermind. And look what he's done with it since that day. And then Paul Meyer, who, you know, sold and still sells a number of products to dealership, you know, realized that maybe he was the product now and he could actually go out into the market with his training programs and make that more of what it is that he does. So, you know, Marco Zwanenberg, a yeah. technician in Naples, Florida, Marco flew up for the day. Right. Yes. And, um, you know, Marco, you know, wanted to get into uh, consulting, didn't want to be just a technician anymore. And he had great perspective from the shop, you know, the, the shop perspective that we don't hear a lot in these yeah. types of meetings. So, you know, Marco came up. So, and look at all the people at subsequent fix. Now we thought this was going to be a one-time event, right? <laughs> we did another one in, in September of 2019 in Los Angeles on, on the other coast, and you came to that one. Yeah. And you know, look at look at John Frazier. He was a a service advisor in Texas, and as a result, he uh, won a best practice award at that meeting. And yes. as a result of that, he became a parts and service director. So it's helped so many people's careers, and. Um, you know, that wasn't really the plan that we were going to do multiple venues. But when we saw that a number of people would show up, we took a shot and said, let's do another one a few months later, as I mentioned, in California. And uh, 
you know, we had about a hundred people show up and you were there with us that day and you brought Cindy Barlow, you know, from yes. uh, Tech, Wyoming Technical Institute. And we learned all about what, what they do and she does. And she did a great job telling that story. And so many people, as a result, that came, came to that, that, you know, it's, it's just been, a, it's been a great ride. It's been a lot of fun. And they've been bigger and bigger and bigger since. And I think the magic of it, as I said at that New York meeting, was that everybody shares a best idea or a best practice with the group. Yeah. Everybody shares before. It, it is such a cool format, and it, it blows you away with how much information that you learn. Um, I, I just, uh, I, I'm grateful that I was uh, kind of on the ground floor of it, or at least in that first session. And it just, it, it, uh, it has been a, a lot of fun. And I think one thing that maybe doesn't get the, the maybe focus of it, but I think is really neat is it's a networking event where it doesn't matter what manufacturer you represent, or it doesn't matter, you know, which, which badge you're wearing on your chest. It truly is getting those smart people in a room and, and sharing those best practices and, and taking those back to you, to your dealerships. And, and uh, I, I think it's a, another really, I guess, cool point to me is that um, just how free people are with that information and, and wanting to help other people and helping, helping drive that. And I know uh, Tully down in California is, is Tully in California. Tully is in Sacramento, California, and he is the, Fixed Ops Director at the Niello Company, which yeah. is a, a number of, of franchises and rooftops highly respected. And a quick story on Tully. Uh, back in 2005, uh, I got a phone call from a respected dealer in California named John Anderson. And he's, uh, he, he says, Ted, I don't know if you remember me, but you trained my dealerships in the early 90s in, in the Menlo Park area in California. He had some Chevy stores, and I trained him on the front end, on variable, on leasing, things like that sort, sales training. He said, I heard that you're doing a lot in fixed ops now. I'd like you to come out. I have a Chevrolet store, and I have a Honda store in San Jose, and I got a young service manager who just started with me. His name is Tully Williams, and that's where I first met Tully was in 2005, wow. and then I, re I reconnected with him after we did our first fixed ops roundtable, and I said, hey, would you like to come down to LA and, and speak. And, uh, you know, by the way, it's funny about Tully and he'll acknowledge this. He was kind of an introverted guy. I remember. Really? And it was really hard. Absolutely. Kind of <laughs> hard to get him come out of his shell. And when I saw him get up there and speak in California at the second fixed ops round table, I said, who is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> he blew everybody away. It was incredible. Holly was great and has been a big part of, uh, you know, the event since then, too. Yeah, so. Well, I, I think that's just, uh, I think the world of what you've done there, Ted, I, I, I really, um, I, I've learned a lot. I've, I've gained a lot of valuable relationships that I think will be lifelong relationships and, and uh, just some, some really, really neat stuff. So we'll, uh, we'll touch on that a little bit more at the end here. But one of the things, uh, I guess, today that I wanted to talk about on top of that is, is really diving into your dealership visits, right? And how, yeah. how often would you say you're in a dealership? Uh, like, so that you're visiting a dealership and doing training? You know, training is not a one-time thing. It's an ongoing process. And the dealers that hire me are the, the, the good dealers and, and great dealers. You know, typically the dealers that aren't, aren't that good, you know, they don't hire me. It's the dealer that want to get 
and they're looking to go to another level. And I used the equation that Lexus gave me years ago in their customer satisfaction philosophy. They, they have a written book when they came out with the Lexus product. I've done work for Lexus for many years. And Japanese gentleman named uh, Mr. Fujita was vice president. And he said, Ted, I want to share with you the death action from Lexus. And I said, oh, I, I want to write this. I, I, want to, I want to take a lot of notes and learn what it is. And he said, it's very simple. It was like a math equation, Jay. He said, performance, which is what you and I do every day, minus expectations equals satisfaction. And I said, I'm not really sure I get it. He said, well, Ted, do customers have high or low expectations today? I said, huh? He said, are they higher than they were five years ago? I said, absolutely. He said, will they be higher five years from now than they are today? I said, of course. He said, well, that expectations on the part of the customer are driving the equation. So if, if we continue to perform the way we did six months ago, three months ago, Jay, last year, two years, five years ago, eventually the customer expectations will surpass our performance. So we have to constantly be increasing the performance to stay ahead of expectations. And as long as we do that, we'll have satisfied customers. So that's how I treat what I do at the dealership level. That's, I, I, I don't know that I've heard that. I, and I, uh, I remember you talking about Lexus, but I don't remember the formula. And I, that is that's that is really really eye opening to me. I, that is such a true statement. I uh, I'll uh, I was taking notes as you were writing that. That's pretty cool. Everything we do today has been so dramatically in the last five ten years, and now again in the last sixty days. And look at companies that are constantly reinventing. Look at Amazon. Brian Benstock at Paragon Honda. And Brian, by the way, has been a client of mine, started in 2005. Number one Honda certified pre-owned dealer in the world, and on the Acura side, in Queens, New York. And um, he talks about how, you know, when you go on to the number one search engine in the world, which is Google, you type in what you're looking for. Google tells you to go buy that product. Well, the number one retail search engine in the world is Amazon is that when you type in your search in Amazon, Amazon shows you the product and brings it to you rather than you having to go out and get it. So he said with Amazon being up 1,900% in the last number of years, he thought that Amazon was the way to go in reinventing his service operation. So he, again, increased his performance at a time when maybe the customer expectations were going up, but not quite what they are right now today. So he, he has reinvented service you know, I'm constantly seeing what they have now, working with their people, but the important part of the whole thing is the people, yeah. and seeing what we can do to make things better for the customer. Because ultimately, the customer is going to guide the whole equation. And by going all over the, you know, as an example, the continent, all over North America, you you pretty much can figure out pretty quick who the, you know, what what are the best practices out there. And you know, dealers are hungry for them. So the same thing we do in the roundtable is what I'm doing in the dealership. I'm just applying it to that one particular rooftop and making it fit into their way of doing business. So I love that. What, one more time. What, what was the, the formula again? It's performance minus expectations equals? Performance minus expectations equals satisfaction. That's the formula. That. And it's written in the Lexus customer satisfaction philosophy, which came out in 1989-1988, a gentleman by the name of Dick Chitty uh, was uh, in charge of bringing Lexus to life. 
And there was another gentleman at Lexus a few years later in 1995. He was running the division in uh, the whole country for, uh, for Lexus in Torrance. His name was Jim Press. And uh, Jim Press had worked in the Cincinnati region with Toyota years earlier. I trained the Toyota region in Cincinnati. And they took me out to Torrance, California to talk about improving their customer retention processes. And so uh, Jim hired me. And I learned a lot about Lexus. And interestingly, Jay, they don't do anything by accident. Before we came up with their training program to take out to their dealers nationally, they had me go into their 27 best dealers for two years and learn all the best practices all over the country to develop their customer retention program, which I did. I developed. And subsequently, just a few months ago, when we had our fixed ops roundtable in Las Vegas in uh, February 2020, I called Jim Press, and he's known because he brought he brought Lexus to life uh, in the global marketplace, Scion to life, another Toyota brand. He brought Toyota Credit to life. They didn't have all these things years ago. So I called Jim up, and he's now running uh, the McLarty Group, huge dealer group, in the top 25. And I said, I called him up, and I said, Jim, you mind speaking with the fixed ops roundtable in an and a few months later, in April 2020, we did our first virtual roundtable. And I asked Jim to speak at that one as well. And his message was so well received about how fixed operations now is such an important thing. So a lot, a lot of what I do today is built on relationships that I developed over the years. So in terms of a dealership, you know, there's no one size fits all because you've got a lot of moving parts. You've got technicians. You've got service advisors. You've got BDC managers. I will go in and help them, and I'll typically come back every four months, you know, to help take them up another notch, and I'll provide support in the meet, you know, remotely. Yeah, it, it's fascinating to kind of get a grasp of everything that you've had your hands into here, and and I guess that kind of leads into the next thing that I think would be fun to talk about, which is best practices in general, right? And and when you walk into a dealership, where do you start? Uh, I mean, is it is it by analyzing where they're currently at, talking to them, or you know, when when you walk into a place, wh- where do you even begin? I start with the dealer, the dealer principal. Okay. There's a lot of training companies who go out there, and I'll talk to the people who do the implementation. I'm not a consultant, by the way. I don't like that word. I'm an implementer. Yeah. And I'll say to them, you know, how did it go with the dealer principal? And they'll say to me, oh, I never met him or her. You never met them. No. I dealt with a service manager. I dealt with maybe a general manager. So I start with the dealer prior to ever going in. I'll typically um, meet with that person. I'll see the store or I'll have talked about it substantially with the dealer. I want to go into the top. And because if you don't have support at the top, Jay, no matter what you do, it's not going to work because that person has to buy in. And I'll tell that dealer, look, we're, I'm coming in for four days. And I'm going to need, first of all, I need your calendar free for those four days. And I'm going to be coming in, you know, service and parts opens up at 7.30, opens up at 7 o'clock, whatever. I'm going to need you there with me when we open the door. And you can't come in at, you know, 10 o'clock in the morning because that's going to show your people how important it is or not important this is. So we start with the dealer and I get the dealer to buy in. And that's where we begin. How how hard is that process? So like when you're when you're talking to them about buying in, and and I think a lot of times from a dealer principal standpoint, it's it's maybe a different mindset 
when it comes to fixed ops, right? Or, or maybe a paradigm shift in general. Uh, I'm guessing they called you for a reason in the first place, but how is that initial kind of introduction to what you're doing and, and the clearing of their schedule for four days and being there early? How do you go about getting that buy-in? You know, 25, 30 years ago, it probably was, would have been harder for me because yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know all the steps. And I didn't realize, I didn't understand how important that was. You know, but today I won't do it any other way. So uh, I will, typically I'm referred in to the dealer by another dealer, someone that they know. And uh, I, can, I can give you countless stories. Bob Page, who's a, a Toyota dealer in Michigan, Page Toyota, was in a 20 group. And in the 20 group was another dealer named Dave Deleuze, a Toyota dealer on the big island of Hawaii. Also, a, a cattle rancher. I didn't realize they raised cattle on the big island. <laughs> I didn't either. And Dave Deleuze was referred to me by Bob Page. And so I went out and, you know, obviously I had, you know, the dealer's ear right from the beginning and coming all the way out there. And I trained his store. And as a result of my starting his store's process, he said, you know, I'm not part of the, uh, there's a distributorship here of Toyota and Lexus products and Chevrolet products in the Hawaiian Islands. It's called Surfco Pacific. I'm going to refer you to them. And then I came out on another visit and I met uh, Eric Fukunaga, who uh, he and his brother own the Surfco company. And I met with them. It was a two or three hour meeting. And they showed me all the Toyota and Lexus dealers they have on, on the islands. And um, they subsequently hired me to come in for two years and train all their Lexus and Toyota dealerships on the islands. Okay. Wow. So it, it's, it's always a, a referral of, of some sort. Uh, Galpin in California. Galpin Ford is the biggest Ford dealership in the world, I think, for the past 25 consecutive years. Yeah. Bert Bachman is the owner. And I was referred in to him through one of their franchises. And I didn't start off in their Ford store, but I made sure that when I trained the Ford store that I had connected with Bert and I met with him and his leadership team and that they were involved in all the training right out of the get-go. So when I come to the last day of the implementation and you know we're going to do not 15 or 20 new things, we're going to do three or four or five things during this visit that we're going to focus on. At the last afternoon, I'll typically sit down with the dealer again, and I let them know this at the beginning. We're going to go through a closing meeting, Jay, and we're going to go through everything that your team did this week, and I'm going to give you a written report, and uh, you're welcome to have your managers there, or if you'd like or not. And, you know, a lot of times that closing meeting for other consultants, if they get to the dealer, might be a 15-minute meeting. Mine are typically two, three hours, four hours in some cases. So, so the dealer really wants to know what's going on, and they buy in into the fact that they need this change. So after you go through that whole process and, and you leave the dealership, how do you look back and, and try to hold them accountable? Or, you know, is it really, okay, dealer principal, I need you to really make sure that you're policing these or is it systems-based? How, how do you hold them accountable so that when you leave, the whole deck doesn't fall apart, right? <laughs> At that closing meeting, I, I mentioned we do a, a report. and on the last page of the report is a sign-off for each manager for what they're going to be held accountable to do over the next 30, 60 days, whatever the 90 days. And the dealer is going to sign that report as well. Mm -hmm. And they're not overwhelmed with tasks. It's, it's a couple things. But the fact is, you know, that um, from experience, I realize when you go in to train a dealership, you can't typically do it in a day or two. Most dealerships 
are going to involve my being there for four days. Yeah. Because during the four days, so a manager, Jay, who might look really good on day one and really look good on day two, might fall apart on day three. All right. And, you know, you get to see things and experience things that you wouldn't have known. So you need that time in the store. Plus, people are going to want to backslide and they'll chip away at the process. As an example, a service advisor, you know, will not try to do away with our new process in one fell swoop. They'll start with little pieces of it and they'll pick away at it over days and weeks. And eventually, 30, 60 days later, there's nothing left. I just was in uh, Santa Rosa, California with David Long, who's the executive general manager of the Hansel Group. And they have 10 rooftops, Honda, Toyota, BMW, Subaru. They do a great job, Ford, number of Ford stores. And there I was not brought in by the dealer. I was brought in by the executive manager. He said, Ted, we're gonna train our stores, but I'm gonna have you, before we get started, you're gonna meet the dealer. And you're gonna meet the dealers, uh, you know, it's father and son. And I, I met them, Henry Hansel and Justin Hansel. And we didn't recognize each other. but I didn't know till the next day, and they didn't know till the next day. They had met me 12 years earlier when I went into Ford Motor Company in the San Francisco region and trained all the Ford dealers. I trained the dealer principals. And at their training session, the next uh, their session, they said, wait, we've seen him before. He was out here and he trained us as the dealers. So, and they said, look, we tried to get this. We got this process up and running for about 60 or 90 days, okay, on our own based on what you taught us. But now you're here in the store. So you know, it's funny how it, it came full circle. So uh, when I do an OEM initiative, Jay, the first thing in the OEM initiative is, you know, after we study their processes, like I mentioned at Lexus, we'll go in and we'll train the dealers first, the dealer principals. And we could do it remotely. We'll, we'll do it in person. But we get the dealers to buy in before anybody else. And then once the dealers bought in, you know, it, everybody else seems to fall in line along the way. That's a, that's a great approach. And I, I couldn't agree more. I, I think that it starts at the top and, and really buying into that because it really is kind of a, maybe even a change in culture and change of the way that you're doing yeah. things. I couldn't agree with you more there. That is such a great approach. Every company has a culture, right? Jay? Yeah. I mean, yeah. You've got to find out what that is. And it, it typically has been set by the dealer or somewhere along the line earlier. And so you've got to, you've got to, you know, seek to, understand before you seek to be understood. What a great point. So what is it that you see maybe commonly when you go into a dealership that you know that you're going to have to fix or something that is is maybe something that you see kind of over and over and over again that might appear simple but isn't simple or that is just a common mistake that that we make as dealerships. What do you what do you see when you when you come in? Do you remember Fred Beans? You met him at the November. Great guy. Amazing guy. Pennsylvania dealer. Started off with a gas station. Got a Ford franchise many years ago. Today, he's the largest dealer group in Pennsylvania. He has 25 stores. And even more importantly, he runs the largest wholesale parts operation in the United States, east of Oregon. Okay. Uh, Fred Beans uh, runs that wholesale parts operation like a, a trucking company. It's his own business. And he has 800 employees just in the parts part of his business with 1,800 employees overall. So Fred made a good point to me many years ago, and uh, he calls it secrets of the obvious. He says that most things in life are obvious, but if you look at them every day, maybe you don't see them anymore or you just accept them. So somebody coming in from the outside 
quickly identifies with the secrets of the obvious. Uh, I was at a dealership two months ago where I, I walked in and a lot of the, they have valets who are in the service departments. It's, it's somebody that's customer facing. Yeah. A customer would, would see a valet, Jay, right? Somewhere yeah. along the line, early in the process. The valets were wearing, you know, those Apple, uh, not the headphones, but what, what do you call them? Those uh, ear pods? Yes, yes. <laughs> they were wearing them. Oh. And um, I said to the dealer, I said, you know what, if I'm a customer and I'm here with my 30, 40, 50, $60,000 vehicle, right? And I'm here for service. And this is one of the people who might be helping write me up. Don't you want to make sure that they get the primary concern right? Is there any chance they could be distracted by, ha by having that in their ear? And uh, even if they weren't, isn't that a message that could be sent to the customer, an unspoken message? So yes. secrets of the obvious. How about a, a company where everything is dirty? Uh, on the service drive or on the floor. It's not clean. Now, today we're, we're focused on touchless and contactless, right? Yeah. And people have different, you know, perceptions and fears that they maybe didn't have, you know, at the end of 2019. But there are some secrets of the obvious. I had a, a dealership who recently wanted to get involved with touchless payment so that the customer wouldn't have to, you know, actually slide their credit card into a machine or have to touch anything because that's a, you know, that's a big concern in, in yeah. some parts of the country more than others. So he um, got a big stick. He got a six foot stick and he said, I want to show you what we're doing. <laughs> and he has this big wooden stick with a credit card reader on the end. And I said, well, I, I go, that's okay, but what's the perception? <laughs> <laughs> so I helped him with, I helped him with some technology that was out there at a minimal cost that he, you know, was able to use Apple Pay and things like that, even through a clear glass, you know, one inch pane of glass to be able to have the customer do that without the stick. Mm. So, um, but only in the car business could you, could you imagine these things happening, right? <laughs> <laughs> so it's secrets of the obvious like that. <laughs> well, and I, I think that's, and even with Fred, right? With, with Fred Beans uh, out in, I, I think he was in New Jersey when, when we were out there, he had passed out uh, a manual of some type. And I, it was, uh, I think it talked through uh, their best practices as a company. And I remember reading through that and I'm like, this is amazing. This is, this is uh, the, the fact that he was kind enough to just hand that out to everybody spoke volumes about him as a person and, and what they have as a company. A lot of times you would say, why would someone share that? Right. Yeah. It's, it's, and it's because a lot of people are not going to apply it when you share it. Okay. But you know, prior to that meeting, and Fred Beans is 81 years old. He, um, like I said, he's got 25 dealerships. Fred was on the phone with me for weeks leading up to that meeting, making sure that presentation he did would right at that fixed ops roundtable. And he's sharing the hand, uh, the handout with me, making sure that, you know, this is going to be appropriate for that meeting. So look at, and he didn't have to, you know, drive with his management team three hours each way to come up there to do that meeting. He, yeah. I'm sure he's got better things to do, but he did. He came up and uh, he was so glad to be a part of it. And I think a lot of other dealers in the room came to listen to him, you yeah. know, to hear what he had to say. And they brought their management teams as well. Brian Benstock was, was one of them. So yeah, they've, everybody's got a best practice or a series of best practices. And, you know, we just want to take their performance and make it that much better because again, the customer is going to drive it with the expectations that are ever increasing all the time. 
Well, and I think even like looking, using that example, right, between Brian Benstock and Fred Beans and, you know, some of the other folks that we had out there in New Jersey, the the mutual admiration that they have for one another is so refreshing to see. And, and even uh, a Fred Beans, who's been around the business for all of his life and just is a, one of the smartest people I've ever met taking notes as he's listening to, to, to others, uh, other presentations. And, and I, I think that that really rang home with me of that, that always be learning, but here's this guy that's been around it forever and runs one of the best dealerships in the, in the nation. And he's taking notes from other presenters that are there. I, it just blew my mind. It's, it's funny you mentioned that because Fred walks around with a notebook. He takes notes a lot. And when we saw Fred do that in New Jersey, we had an event program for our Fixed Ops Roundtable. That really made it click that, you know what, when we do these live events from now on, we're going to have a section under every dealer, every person who presents so that everybody can take these kinds of notes if, they, if they'd like to. Yeah. And now that we're doing virtual events most recently, which, by the way, has, has increased the the audience, you know, many times, yeah. you know, higher than, than it would, would otherwise be. We've now come up with a uh, virtual event program with a flip book where people can take notes in that. And uh, we're making that publicly available so that uh, all of our speakers, when people hear them, what they've got to say, including we got better. We have people in panels now. It's not just one speaker after another. We'll have a, a panel with a topic. Uh, we have one coming up uh, in June yeah. uh, of 2020. We have six different panels. One of them is the post-pandemic parks department. And, you know, we have maybe four or five people on that panel, but each panel has a, a relevant topic to the audience and they're going to want to and hear from the industry's best. So how, and as we kind of wrap up the, the podcast here, how do people learn more about the fixed ops roundtable, the, the next virtual roundtable that's taking place in June? Uh, what's the best way for a dealer that wants to get on here and, and really take a look at this? What's the best way for them to, to really find out more and, and get registered? Well, we've made it complimentary now because the auto industry has gone through a lot of you know crisis in a few months. So the event is now free to everyone. Just go to on your website uh, or on your computer or on your phone to fixedopsroundtable.com, fixedopsroundtable.com. And uh, you can see the agenda on there. You could see a list of the speakers and pictures of the speakers and all the companies that are involved. And if they uh, click the tickets button, you just have to enter a promo code. And it's the word fixed ops, one word, fixed ops, all capital letters. And they hit apply and that discounts the ticket to zero. So um, we had 500 people at our meeting two months ago. So yeah. we're expecting that or perhaps, you know, much higher on June 18th, it's a Thursday when we do our next one. And we timed it because this is an eight hour event, Jay, yeah. with 40, we had 48 speakers at the last one. So that's not easy to coordinate. So we, we do it at 9.45 a.m. Eastern time because it touches both coasts until 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. And, um, you know, we're looking forward to, to seeing everybody on there and sharing these best practices. We've got some big names speaking that day. And it's it's one big event with uh, a lot of a lot of good note taking, and it's a lot of fun, and it's very interactive as well. So we're yeah. getting better as we go along. Oh, it's it's been incredible. Uh, we'll we'll make sure to put a link to it in the show notes of the podcast so that uh, people can find that. But 
I think to, to end this, Ted, I just want to thank you for, for everything that you've done for me personally, but then also for, for the dealership community, for the fixed ops community, and, and really being that, that tie between all of us where it, it's really, it's really helped a lot of us make close knit relationships. It's helped us learn. It's helped us get better and, and kind of take our game to the next level. So, uh, I think I speak on behalf of a lot of people when I say thank you for everything that you've done. Uh, it does mean a lot to all of us, and and we couldn't uh, couldn't do it without you. We appreciate you more than you know. Uh, very welcome, and I, uh, you know, it's mutual. You know, all you're doing to help support it, Jay, and you're a big part of it since the beginning. You were you were there when it was just that in my conference. <laughs> I, I i was proud of that i i think that's uh that's a really really neat thing so uh i know know you're a busy guy thank you so much for taking time out today and, and being on the podcast i think there was a lot of really beneficial tips and and a lot of uh just good discussion and it was good to catch up with you great thank you jay